0: Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations all based on a biblical worldview. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. It's a common parable, the parable of the sower. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at it and I want you to hear this. We're going to look at the parable of the sower. And then we're going to end up somewhere completely different. We're going to end up in another part of scripture. Completely not related to the sower. But it, in, but we're going to tie it in all together. Jesus is teaching in the lake, he's standing in the boat, as you can imagine it. He's in the boat to get an audience in the beach so they can hear him well. And he is teaching to them in parables. And the question many people ask is, why does he teach to them in parables? And now listen to this. Part of the reason is that parables separate the spiritual-minded person from the one that is not. The parable we're about to study together isn't a mystery. And the Bible itself records the words of Jesus himself explaining the parable. The Bible doesn't always do this. But to give us an example of proper interpretation, it does so in this case and in a few others. Nevertheless, this parable uttered and recorded for many years ago has implications for us today. And I want to study this one with you today. But we're going to end up, like I said, in an entirely different passage, not even in the Gospels. So let's start with verse 3 in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 3. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 3. He says, And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow.'" And as he sowed, some seeds fell by beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil, and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now this parable is what the crowd heard, but many didn't get the private interpretation the disciples did. And we will read today. So think about it. They are there listening. And some of them listening, remember, parables are for those who are spiritually minded, Some of them heard this parable and they understood it right away. They understood what Jesus was saying when he talked about the four seeds falling in different areas. However, some of them did not understand. And part of the reason they did not understand is because their ears are not in tune with the God that they serve or God at all. And so the disciples wondering why doesn't he just tell them plainly Ask him, why do you teach in parables? And he gives us the answers. In verse 10, he says, And disciples came to him and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance but whatever does not, but whoever does not have even that, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables because while seeing they do not see and while hearing they do not hear nor do they understand. Now imagine this. Imagine this. You're in the, in that famous museum in Paris and you're standing in front of the Mona Lisa. And you may not know much about art, but if you're an adult and you've been around long enough, you know that the Mona Lisa is worth a lot of money. You know it is valued in society and it has been um, glamorized and, and, and uplifted to society as a valuable piece of art. Because you know this. And you've been taught this. And you understand this. However, take that very same Mona Lisa and give it to my one-year-old Emily and give her some food and some crayons and some paint and what will she do to the Mona Lisa? She'd eat on it, she'd paint it, she might poke her finger through it. Why is that? It's because in her infant mind, she does not understand the value of of what the Mona Lisa represents to the large, the larger group of society. And so many people who are not in tune with God, Jesus is saying, a matter of fact, if somebody gave the Mona Lisa to Emily, and then they offered her cookies and cream ice cream that we eat on Sabbath, and they say, I'll give you the cookies and cream ice cream if you give me the Mona Lisa. She wouldn't even think twice. Just give me the cookies and cream ice cream and you can have the Mona Lisa. Even my seven-year-old daughter wouldn't care for the Mona Lisa. It's the understanding. And so Jesus is saying, look, many people have the pearl of good price. They have heard it. They have... They have seen it. They have heard others talk about. Perhaps they have read about it in the Bible. But they do not appreciate its value. And they take that which the world has to offer. And give up the price of good prayer. And of course. If you don't value that which is good. Not that the Lord will physically take it away from you. But you would carelessly let it go. And fill yourself with the things of the world. While the very value you had. That possessed the eternal life. People don't even understand what they had. And they give it up. We have all heard those stories of. Somebody buying some random stuff. At a garage sale. A regular garage sale. Only to turn out that what they bought. For pennies on the dollar. Turned out to been something worth thousands or perhaps hundreds of thousands of dollars. The person who sold it for pennies on the dollar did not understand the value of that which they had. And so Jesus goes on to say in verse 14, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of the people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes. Hear with their ears. And understand with their heart. And return. And I will heal them. He goes on to say in verse 16. But blessed are your eyes. Because they see. And your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you. That many prophets and righteous men. Desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Now mind you, he's talking to the disciples, but in a lot of ways, that applies to us. Many people in John's day, when he wrote the book of Revelation, had no idea what the major players in the last day would be, and you and I, if we are spiritually discerning our scriptures, and seeing what's happening around the world, we know who the major players are. We are blessed to live in those days. And even though it gets darker, you and I should shine brighter because of the truth that we have. It's going to get darker. It's going to get bleaker. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith in the earth? Because iniquity will abound, and we've seen it in Buffalo and here in Texas, because iniquity will abound, many's hearts will be tempted to grow cold, to look out after me, to batten down the houses, to get my own guns, to live by survival of the fittest, when in reality we are always called to live by faith. We are living in the days where we are seeing the final days of earth's history. And if unless our eyes are blind and our ears are dull, there's no need to have it explained to us. We're seeing it living all around us. But nevertheless, Jesus tells them the interpretation. So we don't have to Try to decipher it. He tells them the interpretation of the parable of the sower. In verse 18. Hear then. The parable of the sower. When anyone. How many? Anyone. Hears the word of the kingdom. And does not understand it. And mind you the word of God is the seed. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom. And does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches it away what has been sown in the heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Verse 19. So this could be anybody you know. Anybody in general. Anybody in the world. Anyone who may have heard a street preacher on the corner, may have heard a podcast or a song or Perusing the TV at night. Heard a Billy Graham special. Or seeing Doug Batchelor in the morning. On Sunday mornings or YouTube. Anyone. This could be anyone. However. When anyone hears a word and doesn't understand it. This could be your neighbor, your kids, spouse, someone who heard a podcast, TV, or radio sermon. It could be a person who read a Bible study or sermon or he is a street preacher on their way to work. Anyone is a key here. Use your imagination. Satan comes in and quickly distracts the person from ever pursuing the seed planted in their mind. As quickly as they heard it, as quickly it goes out. They, are, they probably weren't even aware, that they heard a message of truth. Sadly, they heard something valuable and they treated it like my daughter would treat the Mona Lisa in one ear, out the other. They didn't, it didn't even dawn on them that they heard something that could lead to eternal life. And sadly, this is a great portion of the world today. The gospel is being preached now today, more than ever in the history of the world. Signs, TV shows like The Chosen, the Bible, the number one selling book, you know, on Instagram, TikTok, podcasts, church podcasts, independent podcasts. The gospel is being preached everywhere. Look at verse 20. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, This is a man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Verse 21. And yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when afflictions or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Falls away from what? Jesus? The church? Or both? The Bible says immediately they receive it with joy. These are what I call the too good to be Christians. They are excited, but you can tell they haven't counted the cost of what it is to follow Christ. And there is a cost. And the biggest cost is actually to our own desires, to our own aspirations, to our own wants. We have to die to self. But all the beauty of dying to self. Because when we die to self, we see the beauty of what He has for your life. All my plans, all my thoughts are laid down at His feet to pick up and to put down as He desires. And when I do it His way, no matter how bleak around me it gets, it's the best way. They haven't counted the cost. And when troubles arise, they usually forget about the church first. Then they forget about Jesus as well in Dutar. The moment life starts getting rough. Or faith is required to overcome. They bail on what they thought they believed. Because they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's the people in the wealth and health gospel. As long as they have wealth and they have health, they believe they're faithful Christians. But take away the health or take away the wealth and they abandon the church and Jesus Christ. When faced with difficulties, you have to lean on God's word and take your concerns to him in prayer. It's not bad magic, right? Christianity is not magic. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a relationship that you know intimately. Look at verse 22. He goes on to explain. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth. Choke the word out and it becomes unfruitful. The good life does this person in. The previous one was overcome by outward pressures and the persecution that comes with it. This one is overcome by inward pressure. When you rise up the ranks, for example, and temptation is there to go higher, but not by God's means. When the allurement of earthly success takes over your desire to live godly, then we have a problem, and that's the problem of this seed. They're tempted by the more beautiful woman. They're tempted by cutting corners on their taxes. They're tempted by working on the Sabbath to get that promotion. The pressure comes from inside, from their desires, for what they want, for what they believe is right. The pressure came from Judas, came from what? The inside. He had seen Jesus as the king he wanted him to be. And he wanted to push Jesus in the direction he wanted to, him to go. And that pressure that ultimately did Judas in came from his own lust, his own desires. The pressure comes from the inside when closing the sale means losing your convictions And you actually give in to the temptation. Just this one time, this multi-million dollar sale would would set up my family for life. I could just cut the corner this one time and God will forgive me. And they don't understand that the corruption begins with one deviation from the path of righteousness. And so Jesus is giving the disciples himself the interpretations. None of us need to come up with our own interpretations. Jesus has given them to us. And then finally, in Matthew 13, 23, he says, and the one whom the seed was sown on the good soil, by the grace of God, I hope that's all of us here. This is a man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, And some 30. Now many of us have traveled through these soils. For 12 years I was the first soil. Living in the world. I knew how to give a Bible study. I actually knew the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. I could teach them. Matter of fact I used to teach them. Even though I was living in the world. I would tell people "Look, this is what the Bible says. Don't look at me I'm not living it. I like my life the way it is. But I understand it. And yet even though I understood it, my soil wasn't tender. My heart wasn't tender. But I pray to God that we're all the good soil now. And so I told you at the beginning that we were going to look at this. And we don't have to dive too deep in this because Jesus gave us the interpretation. And I said we were going to end up in a totally different place. And I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Sadly, how many good soils are there? Only one. One soil is completely out there. They don't even recognize the value. The first soil. The other soil understands the value, receives it with good. But when the persecution and the outside pressure comes, they give up on it. The other soil has been around, but when they get tempted by their own lust, they give up on it. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is a complete story, totally, seemingly independent of what we just studied. But we're going to apply the soils to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. What are we going to do? We're going to apply the four soils to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 because it was a practical problem in the church. For disclosures, we're not having this problem in this church, FYI. But it does give us a case study. Paul says, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you. He's talking to the church at Corinth an immorality of such a kind as does not even a, exist among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. Now Paul is saying, we're not going to get into the details, but Paul is saying, this is so bad that some atheists would consider this real bad. Like this is so bad that even secular people recognize this is bad, and yet you are putting up with it. That someone should have his father's wife. And Paul tells him in verse 2, you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. He's saying this church, a professor of mine always used to say this, some people are so open-minded that their brains are going to fall off. These people are so open-minded. They're claiming we're such a church of grace that they're allowing this open sin to take place in the church. And Paul is saying, what, are you out of your mind? And so now we see that we have one soil here represented. This individual who thinks he can be having his father's wife is the third soil because... The lust comes from inside, yet he calls himself a Christian. right? Whatever lust, it doesn't have to be sexual lust, it could be any lust. The love of money, which is the root of all evil. Right? Whatever lust, this one, the soil he represents is that person who thinks he's fine on the outside, but the inward lust, the inward desires are corrupting his walk with God. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be what? Removed from your midst. Paul, the good soil, Paul represents the good soil. For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has also committed this as though I were present. Wait a minute. Paul I thought the Bible says you shouldn't judge people but Paul says I'm not even present and I know the veracity of this story and I have already judged them even though I'm not in the midst so what's going on real quickly when I got to go into a study of judgment but you and I no matter a matter of fact no matter how horrible of sin you have committed I can't judge where you're going to spend eternal life. Well, where you're going to spend eternity. Either you'll be lost, forgotten forever, or you'll be saved and with God forever. Even the young man who killed those individuals, I can't, those children, I can't say beyond a shadow of a doubt where he will spend eternity. Maybe he asked for forgiveness to God in those last few seconds. Now, if I was a betting man, I'd say he's lost. But I can't make that judgment. However, what I can do is judge his behavior. Because it's totally contrary to Scripture. And the Bible tells us so. Right, so we can't judge, no matter how evil a person is, where they're going to spend eternity, but we can definitely judge whether their behavior is congruent with Scripture. So Paul says, look, his behavior is incongruent with Scripture. Get him out. Verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 5, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the happy ending. In 2 Corinthians, he does repent and comes back into a faith-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. a matter of fact, I had to confront, a long time ago, a young couple that was living in fornication, and they, one of them was part of my church board. I had to confront them, and they hated me for the rest of the time I was there. Several years later, though, they got married. Several years later, they came to me and thanked me for being faithful to Scripture. And now they're faithfully in the church. And Paul says, get rid of them. It may sound cruel, but he says, I have delivered them to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? Because all discipline, listen to me, all discipline done by the Lord and if done by the church should be for the purposes of waking the person up to redeem them back into a faith-saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It is not punishment for the sake of punishment, but it's to wake them up because their life, eternal life is in peril. And to wake them up to the fact that they have the pearl of great price there close to their possession. Paul says in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump. Just as you were in fact, unleavened for Christ's Passover has also been sacrificed. You're riding a bicycle. And you know how to ride a bicycle. And you're going real fast. Well, before you start going fast, when you get on a bicycle and you want to get started, what do you usually have to do? You either have to pedal on the floor one bit to get that momentum so then you can put your foot on the other. Or you you hold on to something to get on. And then that first initial step is usually what? Pretty hard, right? And so then you start going, you start pedaling. And if you have a 10-speed or a 12-speed or whatever speed they have today, as you get in the higher gears, it becomes real easy, right? Especially if you're on flat ground, to go pretty fast. And now you're going real fast down the road. And somebody just taps you on the shoulder unexpectedly with a stick. What's likely to happen? You're going to fall, right? Right? The momentum doesn't take much, especially if you're going real fast and it's unexpected. And so God is saying here, look, a little leaven, even though the bread looks good, a little sin in your life, although it seems inconsequential if not taken care of, will ruin you. Many years ago, there was a plane company that was making these beautiful, big commercial jets. But every time they tested it, it would would disintegrate and blow up. And they couldn't figure it out for all their might Why this perfectly engineered plane, or so they thought, was breaking up and destroying itself all the time. And so they looked at the engine, they redesigned the engine, they looked at the wings, they looked at the body, they looked at everything, and they couldn't figure it out. They looked at all the passenger windows, and they couldn't figure it out. And then finally, who's been on a plane lately? Recently. Oh yeah. Next time you go on a plane. Notice. That all the windows. Including the front windows. There are no 90 degree corners. They're all round. Rounded. This plane. The pilot's window. Had 90 degree corners. And that was causing. Little wind. Enough wind to go in. To start the vibration in the plane and breaking the plane apart. This big, massive plane. How big is the window in comparison to the big, massive plane? They rounded out the windows and the plane was fine. You may have flown in it recently. Last thing I'll say about this to bring home the point. You're about to eat that mouth-watering banana bread that my wife makes and as you pick it up and you go to eat it at the bottom you see that little green dot of mold not that it happens to my wife's banana bread because it never gets that old because we eat it up way before that but the question is would you eat it (laughs) Some people say you just cut off the bottom. See how deep it goes. But Paul is saying look. You hold on to one sin in your life. No matter how inconsequential you think it may be. And you will ruin the good soil of your life. Because when Babylon was. When Israel was exiled to Babylon for 70 years part of the reason they were exiled to Babylon for 70 years is that they never gave the soil the one year of rest that is required in Scripture after every seven years. That was part of the reason. So the land may what? Rest. If you don't let the if you're a gardener and you don't let the soil rest, you will ruin any future crops. And so we have to make sure that our soil is always tender to the nutrients of the Holy Spirit, God's word and prayer. Verse 8. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, this sin here was an outward sin. Everybody could see it. And Paul was amazed that they couldn't see the sin and, and and take care of it. But in our, but in reality, the older we get in our walks with Christ, the sins that can easily beset us are not the outward sins, but the inward sins. The sins you think nobody else can see, but we can't hide them from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he doesn't want you to follow him strictly for the sake of just following him. The reason he asks you to follow him faithfully is because it is eternal life for you and for me. Paul continues. Listen in verses 9 to 13 as we wrap up. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Now he's going to be talking about the first soil the anyones who don't understand the good they have. I did not at all mean with moral people of what? This world. Or with the covetous and the swindlers or the idolaters for then you would have to go out of the world. He says, look those people in the world those who are promoting who have, who don't call themselves Christians and are promoting ideologies that are contrary to scripture I didn't say not to hang out with those. Because they don't even know what they're missing. He says, otherwise you would have to go out of the world. We deal with them all the time. At work, at school, on the road, in conversations. Verse 11. But I actually, I wrote you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person, a covetous, an idolater, a reveler, or a drunker, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Now speaking about this man who was in this wicked sin, he says, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Paul makes it clear. The soil that you are, is of vital importance not only to God, to the church, but to the man and woman you are becoming. And the only one who can prepare the soil to be a good soil is only you and your relationship with Jesus Christ. I can preach the truth, but all I'm doing is sowing the seed. You have to be the good soil. You have to be the one who nourishes the soil, but not in your own strength, in the strength of Jesus Christ. Many of us can be self-deceived. Many of us can think we're soils two and three, but the only way to know your soil number four is to surrender daily your desires, your wants to the great shepherd, to the master gardener, the one who will prune and cut our rough edges and he will bring out the fruit in us till we make it all the way into the kingdom of heaven. I'll close with this. I'm reading a book. What's in Larry? What's the name of the book I'm reading to Hannah again? Pilgrim's Progress. I've never read it before. How many people have read it? Right? I'm reading the kids' version. Little Christian is a rabbit instead of a person. And along the way, he encounters different people self pity, sloth, sleepy, self. But he's given one instruction to make it all the way to the celestial city. And it's the instruction I leave with you. Stay on the straight path. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.